Hey, I'm Zach, and one day I'm going to make movies, but right now I'm young, dumb, and not nearly as good-looking as my co-hosts. So with the help of... I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. I'm Steven. I'm going to learn what makes a movie great by watching all the classics I have skipped over. So pop the corn and turn your cell phone to silent, because it's time for a new episode of Zach on Film. Quick, think of a pink elephant. Now what are you thinking about? Elephants, of course. But that wasn't your idea. It was mine. But my idea is to listen this week's Zach on Film as we talk Christopher Nolan's Inception. <sighs> Good intro this week, Zach. Thank you. Do you think of that one all up all yourself? Yeah. Awesome. Steven, do, do you have any idea how insulting it is when you say that? <laughs> of course. <laughs> the only thing more insulting is when you go, how long did it take you to come up with that one? Yeah, Zach, how long did it take you to come up with that one? I started See, it five seconds ago. Excellent. And Good job. Remember, Zach, the answer to that question is, F you, Stephen. <laughs> now, the answer to that is, I've been working on it for days, Stephen. So, Zach, Matthew, and I are lazy this week. Yeah, you lazy bums. You old bums. Well, so here's, I, here's the thing, though. <laughs> what? Here's the thing, though. Um, Matthew and I, and Rodrigo when he's here, speaking of lazy bums. Yeah. Um, <laughs> We know so much about the old films, right? And we still yeah. watch the new films, of course. But you're the new kid. Tell us about Inception. Tell us you're going to school us Dang this it, week uh, on Inception. <laughs> and we'll see Dang how you do. This it, is kind of uh, like your presentation that you have to give. Yeah. Well, I guess it's a brand new day after all. So tell I us mean, about it. Tell us about it. Uh, still against me because I didn't get picked my film I did my dissertation on. But Well, yeah. this is not your dissertation. No, it's not. Oh, okay, good. It's just my. It's my. This is just like your, uh, you know, like your oral report that you have to give every semester. Gotcha. I'm glad it's not in Spanish because I sucked at those. Anyways, Inception, 2010. In Espanol. Uh, no, El not Inception. I'm not gonna try to. End, uh, yeah, I'm gonna offend too many people. I even try that. All right, Inception, 2010. problema. Original script. He wrote it, co-produced it, and directed it all by Christopher Nolan, who many of you will know from titles such as. Uh, the Batman Begins, the 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 Dark Knight, and the Dark Knight Rises again, and the Memento. Also, he did. Mm, gonna forget it. I forgot it. He's doing that, that new movie, movie. Stellar. Uh, yeah, his, his less yeah Prestige Worldwide, uh, or as I like to call it, Wolverine versus Batman. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Inception stars a huge cast: Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Ellen Page, Tom Hardy. Before he was Bane. And Michael Caine. Uh, Inception. After, after he was Alfred. Yeah. Uh, Inception explores, or it, it takes place in a world where people are able to access, access dreams cognitively. Which I think is just cool. also access other people's dreams. Which I think is just cool. Oh, I wish absolutely. I wish I could record my dreams. Oh, I'm, oh yeah. Because you forget them all. I forget most of mine. No, just some of them are so awesome and scary. Well, yeah. I could sell my dreams to you and you would just freak out. We could put those on like, the VIP site. And yeah, yeah. Flood to there. <laughs> <laughs> Let's all figure out how weird Steven is. <laughs> Doesn't take... You don't have to go into my dreams to find that stuff out. I was going to say, after 25 years, I'll write you a damn book. <laughs> so anyway, Inception. Yes. <laughs> what's, what's the base story here? Uh, the base story is Cobb played by... Leonardo DiCaprio is the most skilled infiltrator of mines. And why would we want to infiltrate mines? He is hired by shady companies to go into their competitors' mines to figure out their secrets. Ah, See, people, people, like people the, leave their secrets in their minds, and he finds the them. The formula for new Coke. Yes, but classic Coke. Because that new Coke no one cares about. <laughs> 
So he's hired to jump into somebody very important. Right, right. Uh, yes, he's hired by uh, Cobalt Industries to go into Saito's mind, who is a uh, large businessman, who comes into later. He... Uh, actually, it seems like he's aware of what's happening in the beginning of the film. Right. And it's actually all of a test to see if Cobb and his team is able mm. to do something called Inception. See, what they do normally is extraction, extracting, extracting thoughts from someone's mind. But Inception is the process of planting an idea ah. inside of someone's mind, which is incredibly difficult. Most believe impossible, but Cobb knows differently because he's actually done it once before. To who? Sadly, to his own wife. Oh, man, what a monster. Ah, you would think by monster. Inception, not always bad, but what he did led to his wife's eventual death. Oh, tragic. Yes. Thank God they didn't have any children. Oh, sadly, they had two. Oh, my God. Yes. Anyway. <laughs> Horrible. Wow. <laughs> How's that for a setup? That's perfect. <laughs> yeah. Your Oscar is in the mail. So, um... Leonardo DiCaprio just goes up to somebody, plugs into their head, and and uh, Matrix style their ah, their memories. Uh, kind of, but not really. I mean, if you want to do it without them being aware, you have to get them asleep first. Oh, so then you can all plug yourself. What do you mean intravenously? All? Well, most multiple people can enter one dream, Stephen. Why would we want to do that? Ah, because you have to get a team together to successfully pull out information. Or plant an idea. So, some, so everybody has a different role. Like some people yes. are there to uh, wait for the what is it architect. called the, the drop? Yes. Oh, the architect. One so person is the architect, architect who will design the dream. Mm-hmm. Another person. So that that's the person who creates the world. Creates the, the world okay. inside of the dream, and then okay. you have the uh, arc, uh, the con artist essentially who impersonates right. people. So that's Cobb, right? No, Cobb is uh, the leader. Oh, okay. Tom Hardy is the uh, impersonator. Bang. Okay, right. And then, welcome to your dreams. <laughs> will it hurt, Bane? <laughs> will, it, will it hurt? If, will it hurt if I pull you out of the stream? It will be excruciating. Ah, uh, that wasn't quite the line, but I'll give it to you. You may die now, Zach. Eat the gramul for Yes, <laughs> you have the the chemist who. You may have one ice cream. One <laughs> to pull off an inception. You have to go deep into dreams, right? Because you can have multiple layers of dreams. Mm. Three, in fact. Mm. And then you hit Limbo. Three. And Limbo yeah. is where you want to stay out of. Limbo is not good. Limbo is unconstructed dream space. Mm-hmm. And no one, you can be there forever. Time is not a factor. 50 years can be a minute. A minute could be 50 years. Mm. But it's just limitless. It's like a white piece of paper. It's subconscious it and it's raw as form and you can create forever. And you have to realize you're in Limbo before you can ever actually leave. So some people can get trapped in there forever and not even know it. Ah, see, that's what happened to Cobb and his wife. Mm. Cobb and his wife were two of the first people to experiment with dream states and went too deep and ended up in limbo and were there for 50 years before they realized what had happened. 50 years in their dream state time. 50 years in limbo time, which had been mere seconds in real time. And that's the other thing that I find from a storytelling perspective that's real interesting because as you go down deeper... Mm -hmm. You know, uh, your first level, one minute is like one minute of real time. But then when you go into level two, one minute is like 10 minutes right. of level one time. And then when you go into like level three, it's, it's like it's it gets and, even longer to the fact it, where by the time you're in level three, you're spending in one minute of 
level one time is like days right. in level three time. Even and even in that world, it's not an exact science because depending on if you're using drugs like our our team oh, does, right, right, right. it expands. So uh, in the giant caper, which essentially happens in this film, they have to go deep down to level three, mm-hmm. and at that point, using the drugs they're using, the first level is a week. In, right in their ten hour flight, ten hour right. flight is a week. The second level is, I believe, three months, mm-hmm. and the level after that is ten years. Wow! If they were to do stay in the entire time, but mm-hmm. you can kick yourself out of dreams so you can wake up, and that's called the what is it? The trigger the or kick. The, the, kick? the kick? Yeah, and that's kind of like that tipping backwards that you may experience. Mm-hmm. Yes, that happens to me just sitting sometimes. Have you ever have you ever oh, yeah. experienced that where you're just oh, kind of yeah. sitting and you're starting to doze off and all of a sudden it feels like, Boom. like you're your falling? Boom, your head just nods yeah, the yeah. wrong way. Boom. Um, you'd mentioned something that's kind of important here, Zach, mm-hmm. uh, for this particular movie. Uh, even though this is a real esoteric thinking movie, this is also a caper movie. Absolutely. Matthew, what's a caper movie? A caper movie is a movie where the main character wears a cape, like Batman. Ah. Mm, no Batman in this no. movie. No. Basically, your your caper movies harken back to the the golden age when you'd have your guys come together, see, and we're gonna break into this vault, see, and then you you're gonna open the door and you're gonna take all the money, and then essentially, to me, a, a quintessential recent caper film would be the Ocean's trilogy. Sure, that's the most Ocean's kind of Eleven, where minute, most recent yeah. kind of one. Mm-hmm. George Clooney gathers all of his friends, and each friend has a, a certain thing. War Machine does the thing with explosives, and you know. Uh, Ben Affleck's little brother and George C. Scott's grandson fight and, and are obnoxious. And, you know, Bernie Mac does the – I don't know what Bernie Mac does really. But they all he have their good. certain ability. They're going to put the band back together. And that's kind of what happens here is, and that's what we find in a lot of caper movies. It's not just, oh, we're going to pair you up with you, 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 and you. Oftentimes right. all these people have some kind of past history with one another. Mm-hmm. And especially that's true with Cobb with – his experimentation. The only new person that we have in this team is um, Ariandi. Uh, what played by what's her face? Uh, Ellen Page. A- Ellen Kitty Page. Pride. Kitty Pride. That's right. Juno. Kitty um, Juno Pride. That's Kitty Juno Pride. Um, and so she is experiencing a lot of this for the first time, right? Which really is a. I don't want to say it's a new way, but it is a way to get your audience into this world without having to spend a lot of time. Just looking at the audience going, okay, man, this is the way this works. Because when you're introducing this new character to the world, whether it's Harry Potter or Ellen Page or who's another one that's that we've seen like this, um, you lead this person through your world. And that's Luke Skywalker. Luke Skywalker. That's how you get uh, that's how you get people accustomed to what's going on so that they so that that suspension of disbelief Mm. carries forward a lot, a lot more. And with without having her. being led through the dream state by Cobb, this movie would be more confusing than it even than already it is, is because yeah. even as they're explaining, it's it's completely crazy ideas that are impossible that we know of in today's world. So even to wrap your mind about what actually happens, even while they're explaining it, mm-hmm. is very hard. Matthew, do you like yeah. the Caper movie? I do, and I as with any film i think there are there are rules to a caper movie and that is one of the things that kind of alienated me at the beginning of inception is it felt like for a little bit there before we really got into the fact that you know we're not breaking into a a a bank we're breaking into somebody's mind man 
early parts of this film feel like kind of a standard putting the band back together mm-hmm. Ocean's Eleven caper film. I liked uh, the original Italian job. I liked yeah, Ed yeah. Carter. Mm-hmm. You know, there are a lot of really great films that use these tools. So it's not as though they're not. And, you know, Ariadne, 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 that's fun yeah. to say. Her role in this film in uh, in Star Trek terms, Zach, is what they call the cabbage head. The cabbage head is the person who says, I don't know, Spock. Tell me how this all works again. Right. You have to have a cabbage head, especially when you're dealing with a heavy science fiction conceit, mm-hmm. because that way the characters can explain to each other conversationally the expositional dialogue without having to have your Edward narrator explaining to us that the future is where all of us will spend the rest of our lives. Right. And I feel like um, at any point in this movie where it might feel a little bit long, it's definitely when they're introducing Ariadne mm-hmm, to yeah. this concept of this dream stealing yeah. or idea planting. I actually, li- personally, I, I like that part I like because that part. it explains the world and I don't right. have to try to figure it out. But, and this is like my eighth <laughs> time watching Inception. Yeah, yeah. And so I realized that it's really just a long month. Like if you're watching uh, Rocky, uh, the sting, the sting. or uh, oceans 11, there's generally going to be a montage mm-hmm. right in right before they start doing their big thing of them getting ready. Mm-hmm. But they're, they're doing such an original idea in here with this dream thing. That's an expanded mm-hmm. thing. While there's great moments in that and you learn a lot about characters in there with Cobb and what he's weirdly doing. Um, it does, I feel like, if at any point in this movie, it's like, oh, that might not be the tightest part. While unbelievably necessary to the story, that might, might get just a tinge long, but not necessarily. And I think I could see that. I, I do like some of the, for me, I think one of the most entertaining part are the naming conceits of this film. Oh, Absolutely. Because the names that they choose are so indicative of where we really need to be. Like Cobb, when I think Cobb, I think uh, Ty Cobb, the the down-to-earth, straight-shooting, kind of a bastard, racist jerk. But he he was someone who came in, had a job to do, did the job, got out. Didn't mm-hmm. necessarily come in to make friends, didn't necessarily care about anything, but this is what I do and I do it well. Right. Ariadne's uh, father was the guy who invented the labyrinth and stuck the minotaur in the middle of it. Right. And she so, you know, draws you, the labyrinth in the movie. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the subtext in the naming is nice and subtle. Actually, if you look. Yes, please. Go ahead, Zach. If you look at the five main characters. Okay. Cobb. Uh, six characters. Yeah. You look at their names. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, the first letter of them will end up spilling dreams. <gasps> Which is yeah. one of my main points of Inception, is that Cobb. there's this giant rabbit hole. Wouldn't that be Creams? No, there's, I don't, his full name. Oh, it's on, it's DiCaprio. on DiCaprio, yeah. Cobb. <laughs> uh, Ellen Page. If you right. watch Ellen, this movie, Page, yeah. right. hold on, let me find uh, it. Ro- find Robin it. Gordon-Levitt. Joseph Gordon-Levitt. No, they're characters. No, no, no. It's Robin you with an R. Well, how, where does Bane Hold fit on, in there? There's no B in dreams. Uh, no, his his full name is Malcolm Donald Bane. Oh, okay. Bane for short. Well, what That's about what Donnell Luge or Loge? Donald Logue? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Where does the, the scarecrow come into this? I mean, the response is, he's not even in this movie. Mm-mm. 
Uh, See, I love the fact so. Let that me let me ask you this. Going I, I believe you Cobra because Commander I've seen this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I've seen this before. I, I, I mean, I've seen this uh, conspiracy thing before, or what people have sussed out of this. And maybe uh, who knows? Christopher Nolan could have just intentionally done this. Uh-huh. Dom, Robert Eames, Arthur, Maul, Saito, Dreams. There you go. Does it what? matter? Let me ask you that. Because a couple of weeks ago when um, when you were going on your quest with uh, Blade Runner, yeah. Matthew was like, don't go down the rabbit hole. And wow. this is a type of movie that very easily when you start following there that is, trail, there's a rabbit hole that you're going to fall down if, into. If you watch Inception for the first time, go on to IMDb, go to the trivia page, read the unbelievable amount of that, and then go to the Q&A, and then watch how people break this movie down and pick at it and go into the, the crazy bits. Uh, watch the movie first. Well, no, that's what I'm saying. Watch the movie first. That's what I said. Yeah. Watch the movie first, and then go down this unbelievable rabbit hole that will keep you your your mind melted for a day or more. And I honestly love that about this movie. Why? Because I love because I believe everything in this movie is so intentional. I mean, Nolan took eight to ten years to write the script for Inception. He started when he was making Memento, mm-hmm. and so everything is so meticulously planned out in script like right. kind of like um uh oh hitchcock would do with was it went in scene mm-hmm. or ridley would do with set design and everything uh nolan is so adamant about his script tightness that it's i think a testament to what he does to go down that rabbit hole and to find out how much thought is put into this movie and to go in and analyze it because the movie, I mean, the movie is has an ambiguous ending, much like uh, the Blade Runner cut we watched. Of, right? Is is the entirety of this movie actually take place in a dream, or is there a satisfying ending? I mean, it could be satisfying as a dream too, because the question of reality of what is reality is definitely in this movie. And so to go into that and to try to figure out um, what the little bits and moments are point to certain aspects of the film and how everything is really involved in this huge mm-hmm. meta way, mm-hmm. I think is, is wonderful. I mean, people have done the same thing with matrix, you know, going right. in and saying, Oh, Neo is the one Neo one. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. he's the one. There's three of them, the, the right. Trinity. Oh, this is all religion. Right. Morpheus is the Lord of the dream. Right. And he's the one who, you know, wakes him. Mm-hmm. Up. Yeah. The question though, that I have is, is it necessary is it necessary mm. to write in all of that? Is it necessary for Nolan to go in? Well, I'm going to, I'm going to make sure that all these guys names spell out dreams. I'm going to go in and, and make sure that, you know, the symbolism of mm. descending into the nine levels of hell is played out here. Right. Um, as they descend into limbo, I'm going to go in and make sure that, uh, the fact that we never see the little boy's face, um, is, is telling in that. Mm-hmm. Is it important to include that much, for lack of a better word, maybe it's not even a real word, vagary? Mm-hmm. That's is, a word. Is You're it, using it wrong, but it's a word. No. he. Int- I mean, there's so much stuff that's vague in there that doesn't have a definite answer that people start to 
intent of the intent of the writer that we've talked about, the fallacy of the intent of the writer. Yeah. Um, right. And and uh, ascribe things to this movie that may not be there. I, I'm not saying that this is wrong in this case mm-hmm. because I think it is fascinating to to yeah. analyze that. But when you're working on something, that's something that you're going to have to take into account. On the one hand, it can be fascinating and lead to a million pages on on IMDb. Mm-hmm. But it could also lead to what happened to me with uh, a TV series like Lost and pretty close to a comic book series, Morning Glories, where you're not giving any answers. Mm-hmm. This is boring. I'm not playing your game anymore and I'm turning it off. And I'm, and more importantly, in a movie, I'm tuning out. But I think that it's important to look at one creative factor is right. I imagine that putting this together for Nolan was fun. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I mean, after Memento all of these things, and we'll watch yeah, Memento that's on the list, but um, structurally speaking, that movie yeah. is, is a marvel. If you look at this and, you know, to a lesser degree, the prestige and even the bat flicks that he made, there is an enjoyment of toying with the structure and the meta text and right. taking little things and leaving those little bits. And I feel like it's the equivalent of, when I make a reference that slides past everyone on the panel, but one guy gets it six months down the road, I love that. That makes it worth it. And I think from, you know, from the filmmaker's perspective, being able to have people go, oh, wow, I just got that mm-hmm. six or eight months, you know, five viewings down the line. I imagine that there's some, some great enjoyment to that, especially in a film that is about literally about manipulating people's perceptions. Right. I feel like. It's not necessarily expected, but it's really cool to have a film I, that is about manipulating expectations. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't disagree with you uh, on any of that, that that you said. I think the thing is that you have to be really careful with mm-hmm. that, because on the one hand, it can lead to some really great discussions, great. and people ten years later suddenly going, "Oh, wait a minute, the iPhone does look like the Obelisk from 2010." Mm-hmm. Oh, shoot! Right, right, or or you end up turn, tuning your audience off from yeah. that. And so, and I think in the medium of a a one-shot film, a mm-hmm. not tro- a non-trilogetic film. Mm-hmm. Um you I think it benefits that kind of specificness and illusion and vagary. Right. Unlike Lost where um, which I think it can be done in a TV series, but if it starts dragging on too long, mm-hmm. then you're you put plot stuff earlier in seasons that you forget about and aren't wrapped up right Not and are just sure. left to blow in the wind. Polar bear, right? <laughs> All sorts of things, and so to do it in a film, Swan I think Station. is the almost the right medium to do it right, because. Right. You have a beginning and end mm-hmm. uh, film, mm-hmm. and you can and you can manipulate that as much as you want. I mean, even the time, the time structure of the length of Inception is scrutinized to be a clue to the entire to the. Oh, really? Yeah, the length of the movie is um, that the song they put on their headphones to wake them up mm-hmm. is about a dream, right? And it's an original recording mm-hmm. is to. Uh, Two minutes and twenty eight seconds, right? And the running time of Inception is two hours and twenty eight minutes. Mm-hmm. Well, so from a storytelling standpoint, the ending ends with Cobb 
seemingly back where he belongs. Yeah. Uh, but the one thing is that you always have to take a totem with you to ensure that you're outside of the world or not. And you have to, sp- in this case, it's his wife's top, which he should never have in the first place, according to him. Right. Um, but he spins it and he's known that he's in the real world when the top falls over. We never see the top fall over at the end of this movie, no. which has led a lot of people to believe that either a Cobb is in the real world because the top is just starting to waver a little bit and one right shot, when yeah. it cuts. So either he is in the real world and he has a happily ever after where he's reunited with his children or he's still in the Matrix. The for is. It could be either the entirety of the movie or at one point people believe he never left Dream State. That, and that's what I kind of lean towards is that this whole movie is him it's still trapped in that Dream State that he was ne- never able to get out Yeah, of. I go back and forth every time I watch it. But I think after this viewing, I think the entirety of the movie is in his dream. Is in a dream. And do you think that all these people are them trying to get him out of the dream? So, for example, the Ellen Page character... Mm-hmm has been injected into his dream to kind of shake him up and say, you're in a yeah. dream, come out. Mm-hmm. Right. It's all of his the ghost of his wife that keeps appearing. Right. Probably his real wife trying to get him to come Could out. Be. Yeah. The fact that we never see the children's faces tell us something. The, the fact that, you know, suddenly he pops into um, his, what is it? His father-in-law's. Yeah. Uh, he's in France. Yeah. Suddenly pops into France. Mm-hmm. No has, big deal. He is mysterious. And a lot of these are actually brought up in the film by mm-hmm. his wife. Uh, how he has mysterious corporations chasing around the world, right. which happens inside of Fisher's dreams. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's obvi- and there's also things that leave in the opposite way of when when Cobb is in dream state, he's actually wearing his wedding ring still, unlike when he's in the real world. Um, the top. I mean, there's a. I think there's more things to point to. It's actually in a dream, right? But there's some definite things that are there are just few, but really big. I mean, the, actually, the actor, the kid actors at the end are actually a different set of actors. They're two mm. years older mm-hmm. uh, than what we see in the dream. So space. you think he's still in a dream, and that this whole thing has been in a dream? Is that your conclusion? I think it is because I, there's. I think there's a lot of subtext, especially like the music uh, that we hear is very slow at the beginning. That mm-hmm. that horn kind of sound is the slowed down of that theme, mm-hmm. which is uh, music when you like you enter a dream, it slows down. At the very end of the movie, it slows back down as you're waking up into the dream. We never actually see title credits or anything at the beginning of the movie, much like you don't know where how you enter a dream. You're just mm-hmm. actually into a dream. But at the end right. of the movie, yep. we get three uses of the word Inception in the credits. And so what happens when you realize you're in a dream? It starts breaking down and it ends. Much like the movie. Matthew, what there's about one you? Thing, there's one thing that I disagree with, and it may, you know, it may be me. And I, when I read, uh, I believe Nolan himself said at one point something that really struck me as why I don't agree with Zach at the end of this film. It's because of the kids. He's lost his wife. He's lost his beloved wife. But he still has these two children who depend on him. And as a parent, that last sequence to me, the reason that we don't see the end of the top isn't because, oh, he's still in a dream. It's because the dreaming no longer matters. He now has to deal with the reality of being a father and dealing with these kids. So well, that, and that's, that dream no longer yeah. matters. Well, but that's he's also kind of on, the and that's and that's kind of the thing is he turns away from the top to focus on mm-hmm, his children, mm-hmm. which is exactly. what he which is what he's always wanted 
in that limbo state, when you are creating your entire world, you can have anything you want. And I think that there are people that are still saying the children are imaginary and he, in his dream, is shaping his dream to get what he wants. Right. So I, think I can see your point, too. that dream. He's stepping away from that dream. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because think, that's the only way he's going to become what he, you know, what he wants to be, which is a good father, or at least a father. But you have to look at: um, does it matter if it's a dream or not? If he's still with his kids and what he believes is reality, does it? I mean, does it matter if uh, it's in the dream world or not? I mean, I think d- it does. D- d- does, it, does it matter? Because I think it does. he's, well, let me, he's oh, so in what a, he believes is the real world. Yeah, so if, if you're dreaming, Matthew, let me just throw this hypothetically your way. Mm-hmm. In your dream world, Matthew, mm-hmm. everything's going good. Mm-hmm. I don't hassle you all the time. Um, <laughs> you're, you're, um, I must be dreaming. Your daughter's pancreas isn't broken and she's, you know, all healthy and is doing well. And all of these things are just, you know, things are just kind of going right for a change. Do you sit there and as you're looking at this stuff, because these are things that subconsciously you've really, really wanted, are you willing to stay in that dream state and say, Hey, my kid is super healthy and I'm really happy about this. And that's all that matters is that my kid is super, super healthy. Or does there, is there, and see, that's the real, that's the Mm -hmm. real kind of, it's a hard question. I don't expect you to to answer it um, because you wouldn't know. I mean, the, the, the question is you wouldn't know. Oh, the uh, suddenly that they've invented I a knowledge of. Right. The, the dreams that I retain, you know, actually any conscious expectation of, I'm always vaguely aware of the non-reality thereof. And I think that maybe that's just my particular thing. But I think that at the end of this film, mm-hmm. he is awake and has now decided to stay awake. Because he has something else to focus on. He has finally come to terms with the loss of his wife, with his guilt over the loss of his wife. And he's now going to, you know, whatever this, the the whole, the multiple layers of the dream are, Mm -hmm. I feel like he's giving up that dream because he knows on some level that whatever is going on there, no matter, you know, whether he wants to see his wife again, every time he gets to see her, Disaster follows. Right, right, right. His mind knows that it's wrong. His wife represents his greatest failure, and his wife represents his kryptonite, for lack of a better word. Although I guess Nolan is the Batman guy, so his wife represents his Catwoman. But when you when you come down to it, for me at the end of this film, saying, well, we never see it fall, this is also very true. But that's kind of the point. I mean, you're you're bringing to this film, to the ending of this film, what you need to bring to it. And what I brought to it, in this case, makes me think, you know, no, I don't think that I would be just as happy in that dream. I think that my, you know, on some level, my mind would go, this is a dream. Well, and that's, and I guess that's you're the other thing. You're not really when you kissing leave, Rosario Dawson. When, when you leave the movie open-ended like that, everybody, just like a dream, is going to bring in their own... Mm-hmm. baggage right right uh and so it kind of works from that way from a storytelling standpoint i think it's a it's great i think there are some uh parts in the movie that are still very confusing even after several viewings where you're like well wait a minute how does this work again and you have yeah. to really you have to really focus and pay attention when they're explaining something 
or when they're mm-hmm. passing off a bit of information, because that's telling you how this universe works. And if you don't, by the time you get into Winter Wonderland, uh, assaulting on yeah. the uh, on the base, that's where things get really, really confusing, really confusing. <laughs> and so you have to be careful from that standpoint. But from a storytelling standpoint, I, I think this is a, a really good film yeah. to look at from, you know, how do you talk about a topic and make it interesting? Uh, Zach, we got some sponsors this week. We do, in fact. Or, or some shout-outs, I guess we should yeah, say. Yeah, let's shout-out to some some listeners of many of the major spoilers podcasts that donate every month to keep this going. So let's give a giant thank you to Darius Malloy, Troy Huff, William Place, Crystal Groves, Aaron Stafford, DDB McCarthy, Wicka Wicka DDB, Lori McClary, Sterling <laughs> Netzlaw, Nicholas Starinsky and Stephen Howland. Thank you, each and every one of you, for donating to Major Spoilers Cause and keeping podcasts like this one on the air day after day, week after week, month after month. Day after day. You made a uh, comment the other day, uh, an observation about Christopher Nolan and uh, film. Yeah. You want to share it yeah. with uh, everybody? Christopher Nolan is one of the rapidly shrinking group of filmmakers today that have declare they will shoot on film, solely film, for as long as they can get their hands on film. As long mm-hmm. as the film exists. As long as the film is there, they will shoot on it. And I think he's had some influence, certainly, uh, in, um, what's his name, who did uh, Zack Snyder. Mm-hmm. Um, because now he's saying, oh, well, in the in the Man of Steel, I think I want to shoot it on film. And the next yeah. one, I definitely want to shoot it on film. I think there's some influence of Nolan getting in there and saying, hey, certainly. look how great this is. Uh, but what else? I mean, certainly it's it's film, and that's great. I mean, uh, there is something magical and wonderful and something very alive about film and the fact that the film grain moves mm-hmm. and is different every frame. And it's not a algorithm that you can plug into After Effects or into a, a plug-in. You can get something that looks close to that, but there's something that isn't uh, film right. uh, when you're working in a digital world. Mm-hmm. Yet, even though he may be shooting in IMAX for scenes for Batman, or even though he Most may be shooting it. in 70 millimeter for you know uh, Inception, yeah. uh, he still uses and employs a lot of digital technology in uh, in the in the in the process. Whole lot, which which I find. Interesting, because um, Inception is certainly uh, effects heavy. I, th- I thought I saw a number of uh, 500 effect shots in oh, this really? movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Batman, um, effect heavy at times. I mean, his next movie, Interstellar, is like a space thing. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's Official gonna, synopsis came out today. Yeah, that's going to be um, some digital effects. So, I, I just find it interesting that he's so adamant about using this physical medium while shooting on green screen or having to add in digital effects later, well, he's still going to have to add sure. grain. And and some of the things that are, that are some of the things to keep in mind and the reasons why we do visual effects, a lot of times are to construct things that are, that we simply physically cannot build. We physically yeah. cannot take a, city block and fold it in on itself right other things we do for safety purposes you know uh putting in a digital um firing of a gun when it's close to an actor Mm -hmm. you wouldn't want to use an actual uh, blank that's firing out smoke and fire because that's a danger to the actor so we can put that stuff in digitally 
Um, we can put in green screen work for stunt work that we can't have somebody do. Mm-hmm. Um, but still a lot of the stuff, it's amazing. The whole um, hallway stuff where the van is oh, falling yeah. and Joseph Gordon-Levitt is fighting with the uh, control guy mm-hmm. or one of the, whatever they're called, um, the brain. The, the security The people. security people. I mean, that is a physical hallway that yeah. they built on a giant crane that rotates and moves around and they're all on wire work mm-hmm. and when you're doing that you're going to have to go in and digitally remove all the wire work um so there's a reason why we do digital effects uh you know even even to uh defend lucas who i don't think he really needs defending no, is does. putting in digital content in his mind to enhance the story to enhance the world in which in which they're building right um so where am I going with this? I don't know. But, um, yeah, I mean, there's a, you got to remember that even the color timing today is done digitally. Mm-hmm. And, and when I say color timing, I'm saying making sure every shot looks the same, has the same look from the wide shot to the close-up. Um, right. All of that is done digitally. So, yeah, every movie is going to have a digital hand to it. Right. Right. Um, but it, I think it's, it's funny, though, that you go from – Shooting it on film, and the minute that it's done being shot, you take it and you put it into a hard drive, and then you start manipulating it. Right. But there's a different tone, and I think that, at least from the perspective of the filmmaker, he wants the, for lack of a better word, the vocabulary that you get right, by right. shooting on film. And, you know, we talk a lot about practical effects, and I give you crap, Stephen, because you say that practical effects are always better, or at least you've well, implied that. So, me, And I think sure. that it's just a tool. It is a tool. A digital effect that works mm-hmm. is no better or worse than a practical effect that hits the same level. And I think that when a practical effect works badly – it fails just as badly as bad CGI. Oh, sure, does. sure, sure, sure. So, um, for people who uh, have been following major spoilers for a long time, we are trying to reach a funding goal, also called our funding goat. You can find <laughs> out more about that at majorspoilers.com, right there on the right side. And we're asking people to become VIP members to help us reach that goal. And we have a couple of different goal levels. There's a bronze level, which gets you access to some free art for another one of our shows. There is the silver membership which is just a great thank you. You get access to the art, but you also get access to something called bonus tracks where we sit down and we record our own commentary to a movie. So you can press play when we press play, watch the movie and listen to us comment and have a discussion. Um, In September, our September bonus track is Raiders of the Lost Ark. And four of us sat down um, last weekend, I think last week, and we recorded it. And one of the things, and a couple of amazing things about Raiders of the Lost Ark. First of all, in 1982 dollars, it was it only had an 18 million dollar budget, which is amazing. Mm. There's definitely a lot of model work and a lot of stunt work, but very few digital effects because they just weren't being done back then. And when you see Indiana Jones running to a truck and that truck blows up and he's like 20 yards from that truck, that truck is really blowing up. It's yeah. not some, you know, composite of layers and and uh and depth passes to create a a fake fireball it's a real fireball and there is something immersive about that and i'm not saying you can't do that with digital effects because there are many times when you watch a movie like oh brother where art thou and every single frame has been manipulated to make that look like the dry dusty south a lot of people don't even believe that until they've seen the the making of, and they're like, oh, every frame has been digitally colored that way? That's mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah, it is amazing. 
because it doesn't call attention to itself, mm-hmm. right? And when an effect, regardless of whether it's a practical effect or a, a, or a digital effect, when it calls attention to itself and says, hey, look at me, I'm an effect, look how great I am, that's right. when it falls apart. Falls apart. And in Inception, you know, that whole, whole hallway shot is done really, really well. Amazing. And it is a combination of digital, because you have to do the wire removal, mm-hmm. and practical, because they shot it in a giant rotating hallway that really, really works and looks good. Um, and even though you know it's an effect when the city folds in on itself, it doesn't, you can't see the strings, right? Right. Uh, so, you know, it, you know, it, it, it pays off there. And where we're at today with, with effects and what we can do in 3D environments and what we can do with compositing, we are creating dream worlds that you can't tell the difference between reality and a dream. And I think that that's both amazing and terrifying at the same time. Because someday, someone's going to see a picture of me holding a newspaper and the shadow just isn't going to be right. And they're not going to know whether it's digital or whether it's real. <laughs> um, it's yes, it's digital. It's regital. Um, so, yeah, the effects work is, is nice in here, but I don't think that the effects are front and center. Uh, in no, this piece, I don't think. Even don't though think so I'm either. amazed at the number of of shots that we have in this piece, yeah. Did you compare? And 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 so again, going back to this bonus tracks, which people can download in, in uh, September if they're a member, members.majorspoilers.com. Uh, we were amazed. We were all making a comment at the end of the uh, movie about, wow, these credits are really short because there aren't five thousand effects yeah. uh, editors in there, five thousand animators going in there. So, take that for what it's worth. What else you got, Zach? Um, for a production side, going back to two movies we've discussed discussed uh, earlier in our Zekon film series, Vertigo and Jaws, there's a mm-hmm. a certain sh- shot in Vertigo that gets repeated a lot of the uh, dolly and zoom out mm-hmm. to try to look the the Vertigo effect of our main character climbing the staircase in the tower. And it's actually a version of that is used a couple times in Inception. Instead of a dolly, it's a, it's a, it's a jib move mm-hmm. instead. Um, a jib, uh, for those who don't know, is a piece of equipment that will allow a, car- uh, a camera to be moved vertically uh, with, with smoothness. So um, what they're in the movie what they're di- is when they're discussing... Vertically, the, was that again? Vertically with... With smoothness. With smoothness. With smoothness. Yeah. Now that's uh, jib, right? Jib. Yeah. You spell uh, that uh, G I B? Ah, uh, no. J I B. J A I B. J to the I to the B. Oh, okay. I dig it, old man. Right on. Now you know my, what I feel like every time I give a definition. Or something. <laughs> uh. Um, so in in Inception, when they're talking about the the Penrose step, so that right, like, right. the MC uh, Escher sketch of mm-hmm. Infinite Staircase. The, the MC Hammer Staircase. Right, yeah. exactly. Parachute pants. Doom, 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 doom. Can't touch that. Uh, uh, we, we, we see a shot from up top mm-hmm. that makes it look like the staircase that they have built is in fact an infinite loop of steps. Right. But then uh, they lower the camera and zoom out to create a wider space in between objects and you see it's actually not a uh, an infinite staircase. It's just it just looked like that from the top, and it's all about 
the architecture of the dreams and mm-hmm. uh, during our big long sequence of explaining how dreams work. And so I thought that was wonderful to actually recognize for the first time viewing Inception what that actual shot was and where kind of the inspiration from and how that came about. Wonderful little shot there. Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy. Anything else? Uh, We talked about how no one likes to covet his script. Mm -hmm. How he likes to work with the same actors over and over. Yeah. And do you like that? Do do you like it when director uh, has like this uh, pool of actors he kind of goes to? It's it's an old school theory. I mean, back right. in the day, your director had his stable. You know, you, you see a Max Sennett movie, you see the same guys. You see a, a Marx Brothers movie, you see the same guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if that's necessarily tied to the director necessarily, but I like it up to a point. This movie did not constantly remind me that I was watching the characters from the Dark Knight trilogy dancing around. But there were definitely moments where I went, okay, that's Bane, and that's the Scarecrow, and well, you know, that, all... that's Cobra Commander. Does Wait, that mean Bane. we're going to see Ellen Page's Batgirl in the next uh, mm. Superman versus Batman? No. Okay, first of all, it won't be a <laughs> Nolanverse movie. Second of all, yes. Yes, we should see <laughs> Ellen Page. Um, from what it looked I... like from his next movie, I didn't oh, see very many... Uh, Familiar names from his past productions. Might want to go back and yeah, check. There's some more people that were just cast yeah, recently. Um, I don't. I guess I don't have a problem with it, depending on how popular the director is. Mm-hmm. So, like before, I mean, yes, Memento, and yes, Prestige, and yes, Batman Begins. Christopher Nolan is a fairly popular name. Um, but I don't know if you went up to people and says, Hey, do you know who Christopher Nolan is? They'd go who, but if you said, Oh, you know, memento and then more, some more people would go, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. That guy. Um, and so I don't think it's a big deal providing that it's a, um, that it's not, you know, in your face and Hey, did you notice that Christopher Nolan uses his actors again and again and again? Uh, I like that. it, It becomes a thing like Tim Burton. Or, or, Where uh, if Tim Burton makes a movie without Johnny Depp and Helena Bonham Carter, the world actually explodes. Right, or every Pixar movie having to have John Ratzenberger in it. Right. If nobody had ever pointed that out and made a big deal of it, no one would ever notice, mm-hmm. right? Because these actors are playing characters, different characters. Joseph Gordon-Levitt is not playing Robin. No. He's not playing... Um, What's that? Spoilers. Yeah, it was... Oh, sorry. Spoilers for a movie that came <laughs> not, out last year. He's not year. playing spoiler either. Spoiler <laughs> is a girl who later became Batgirl. Played by Ellen Page. What? <laughs> so, as long as the characters... Stephanie Brown exists, Dan DiDio. She exists, man! As long as the actors are playing their characters believably, and I'm not looking at that going, oh, that is... Bane, mm-hmm. or that is, you know, so-and-so, yeah, or that is, that is Joseph Gordon-Levitt. That is the fake Rachel Ghoul. As long as I'm not focusing on that, and I'm focusing on, oh, Leonardo DiCaprio is this cob guy who I fully vest in, it makes no bit of difference. Cool. Yeah, I don't really mind either. But it does get, I mean, if you watch the uh, original Ocean's Eleven with Sinatra, 
you can't believe that those guys are the characters that they are because they're just well, horsing around. Right. Sinatra doesn't play anybody but Sinatra. I mean, well, we saw but that I mean, in... all the characters in that movie. All well, the yeah, actors but in that, movie. I, that that's kind of kind of fun in its own way. And, to an extent. You know, when when we talk about Sinatra, there's also some similarities here in Inception with some of the trippiness of the dream sequences right. to the hypnosis sequences we saw in the Manchurian Candidate. Right. And I, there are a couple of times where I was like, this kind of reminds me of that moment. And I still choose to read the moment with Sinatra on the train as one of those did they or didn't they Inception moments of him being yeah. – activated by his handler who then is you know his girlfriend there's a sequel to that movie to be made oh yeah where where sinatra flips out because that girl actually is his handler yeah no no but neither here nor there all right and the top does not fall over because the top doesn't matter anymore bring it on home for us zach Give us, a, give, us a, your, give us your final analysis here so we can uh, give you a final a grade and uh and I get think, out of here. Uh Inception is a very I, I would almost say important movie due to the fact that I think it shows studios that a big budget action movie can still be incredibly thought provoking and leave leave people wondering at the end of it with not just being senseless explosions all the time mm-hmm. and still actually make a, a, a fairly large box office. Cause if you're into that kind of thing, uh worldwide inception made $850 million off of what, do you know what the budget was? A hundred and thirty, I think 130, 150. Okay. So, I mean, you're, you're making some, some serious change there. And so I think for inception to, engage the mind of viewers as much as it did and still turn a profit and still be um, to be talked about today, I think is important for studios to look at when they're making movies. I think uh, story stand why stand the story to standpoint inception is amazing to uh, look at how it layers itself. And then to really, I think, I think honestly, I think we talked about earlier, the digging into the story is important in inception because it, it shows you just how deep the movie is. And how far you can take uh, your your thought process when creating a script. Uh, the, the the composition of stuff was great. Editing, editing was nice and really poignant to make sure to hit beats mm-hmm. to keep the people wondering. And so I thought editing was good. I I honestly love Inception and was reminded about how much I love this movie when I watched it again this week. Excellent. Matthew, how'd, uh, how'd Zach do this week? Well, I, I, I think that this week we have touched for one of the first times on one of the biggest landmines of, of film and literary criticism and or, you know, creation. And that is, do you treat something differently because you already know it and love it? And I right, think he right. managed to, he definitely managed to Mostly avoid that pothole, but I think that as we go into the next three weeks, when we get to a film that maybe he doesn't already love, I want to see this level of involvement and this level of engagement on what's next week? Next week is Iron Giant. Giant. Have you seen Iron Giant? Yeah, when I was a kid. Do you love Iron Giant? I haven't watched it for a while, but I know I really enjoyed it. The answer is yes. Yeah, I remember really liking it when I was little. 
And that's the thing. We want to make sure that you're giving that same level of, of scrutiny to something that you're not as familiar with as you do to something that you love. You, you definitely did. I'm going to go solid A minus material this week. Oh, yeah, yeah. Zach, you did a great job. Yeah. Thank aside, you. aside from completely misreading that last sequence. <laughs> Um, really, I think you've got this one in the bag. Just make sure that you have that same level of focus for your Manchurian candidates and your five and a half yeah. hour long, you know, Baz Luhrmann films oh, that you do got for Lawrence this. Of Arabia. Lawrence of Arabia is coming up after uh, Iron Giant. That was is that on... the one in Techno Cineframoscope where yes. it's 132 yeah. by nine? Yes. Yeah. It was yes. also. On... I'm not watching that one. It was on also on Turner Classic uh, a couple of weeks they took ago. Up the whole day. Yeah, I watched it. It pan and scan. Oh, you watched it uh, pan and scan. I watched it pen and scan when I was in college, maybe. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, I guess I all you, meant, it was you watched it on TV the other day. The back and the fourth and the back. I, can't, I don't watch TV. <laughs> okay. All right, Zach. <laughs> uh, good job. Uh, Thank you. Keep it up. Bring it on home. Thank you. That's going to wrap it up. Bring it on Zach home. Zach on the film this week. Next week. Oh, no. First, go to Majorspoilers.com where... You can find this podcast posting page and give all your thoughts, and we can discuss the ending <laughs> of Inception. What did I say? Something funny. This podcast this posting, posting page. page. Uh, and podcast. here, and someday we're going to do these all, new fandango all, things. The Twitter all that www's and that worldwide internets. Uh, on the tweet, get your thoughts about Inception. Spaces. While you're there, let me just spoilers. Go to the front page. Click on that Amazon.com link and go to Amazon and do all your shopping. That you would generally do throughout your weeks and days, which between your movies and and your automobile tires and your diapers, uh, buy that all. Nothing will cost you extra, but a little bit will kick back to major spoilers to help keep everything on 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 the up and up. Next week, we're going animated. Animated, maybe As our first animated. I believe we haven't done heavy metal, so no, no yeah, I believe yeah. this is our first animated movie. As we talk Iron Giant next week. I don't know. There were some cartoony aspects to do the right thing. Not the same thing. All right. Thanks, Zach. Yeah, that's it. See you next week, everyone. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.